Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. Uh, so this is our last week in Ruth. We've spent the, this is now our fifth Sunday in Ruth, and I have grown very fond of her. Have you guys? I've loved uh, spending time with her and her people. Um, we've spent the last few weeks just to catch you up. If, if we've missed you, um, looking at the book of Ruth through the lens of an old Hebrew word, uh, hesed, which is a really hard to define word. We've legitimately now spent including today, we'll have spent five weeks just trying to define the word. Um, but it's essentially uh, the loyal and generous, loving kindness in action. I'm getting closer to being able to define it. Um, it is a good word, and I've had a good time with this word. Um, but I wanted to spend today uh, going back to a text that we actually already covered. Um, we've already been in Ruth chapter 2 once, uh, but we're going to revisit again because... Um, as I spent uh, time preparing for Ruth in um, January and the weeks leading up to it and all the past few weeks, this is uh, part of it that I wasn't able to quit thinking about. Like it just sort of rattled in me and rumbled in me. And, um, and so I just thought maybe this was just supposed to be a four-week thing. And I was like, oh, I need one more week because I want to go back uh, to Ruth too and uh, talk about uh, the idea of gleaning. That's what's been rumbling in me. I just thought it was really interesting and I read everything that I could find because it was just a fascinating topic uh, for me. And so I, I, I thought that the Holy Spirit had something for me, but what I started to feel too is that maybe the Holy Spirit has something uh, for all of us around the idea of gleaning. Um, so Ruth in Ruth 2, as we've already talked about, and as Josh just read, Ruth has gone into Boaz's field uh, to glean, which means she's walking behind the harvesters to gather up the grain uh, that's been left behind after they have done their harvest work. And Boaz, in uh, an extra measure of protection and generosity, he doesn't just allow Ruth to glean. He also uh, protects her. He asks her workers to, uh, to not bother her. We, um, I'm in a, a women's group, and we were talking this week about how revolutionary it would have been at the time just for Boaz to say, you cannot assault this woman. Like today, we're like... That's understood, but it's, he does this, this extra measure of generosity and protection, but then he also says, don't, don't not just assault her. Also, will you like leave extra for her? Will you pick off the top specifically for her? And so this idea of gleaning, uh, it comes from um, one of God's laws to his people in Leviticus chapter 19. So a few chapters before Ruth. And in Leviticus 19, uh, God is laying out laws for his people. And all of the laws in this little chunk of scripture all have to do with how we treat other people. Um, it's honestly worth a read this week if you are looking, you've probably never been like, oh, I'm dying to read Leviticus, but um, I don't know if you're supposed to say that about the Bible, but it's a toughie. Um, but in Leviticus 19, there's this chunk uh, that is just like good basic human ethic. It's really, really good. Um, but uh, here's what it says in verses 9 and 10, um, part of how you treat others is uh, God giving a standard for his people for how to use your business or your fields or your vines uh, in order to bring people peace and welfare to the community. So this is the law. I'm just going to read it to you from verses 9 and 10 in Leviticus 19. It says, when you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your field. Do not pick up what the harvesters drop. 
It is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines. Do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners among you. I am the Lord your God. Which is how the Lord says that this is a commandment. He ends it with, I'm the Lord your God and this is what uh, I'm saying. So, so here's what he's saying. He's saying, when you harvest your fields, cut the corners on purpose. When you harvest your field, cut the corners and leave some on the edges uh, behind on purpose for the good of others, for the sake of others. Um, I was trying to think about this in uh, current context, um, and, and I thought about how uh, we don't want to be the last people to eat something when we're sharing with others. You know when you're at the Mexican, re- a Mexican restaurant and you're sharing a chip basket and nobody wants to eat the last chip? Do you know what I'm talking about? Or you're like, I'll eat the last whole chip, but I'm going to leave the three large pieces behind. And so it's like every single chip basket has three large pieces of chips that nobody wants to, 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 to take. Or um, how you uh, cut, cut a cake and there's the piece with too much frosting that you leave uh, for someone else, or some of you are like, that is cake. Um, maybe you leave the piece with not enough frosting for someone else, or this is a really personal, specific example. Does anyone know um, what strawberry pretzel salad is? Okay, you know where you have like, the, it's like pretzels and butter and sugar? Layer one. Layer two, cream cheese and like whipped cream and probably butter and sugar. Layer two. Uh, the top is strawberry jello. You could add butter and sugar. Um, I don't know if you know, butter, <laughs> but it's just a pot of butter and jello and pretzels, basically, and sugar. Um, so we make it, my grandmother made it forever at Thanksgiving. My mom makes it now, and, um, and she makes way too much, and it, it sits in the fridge. And every time I pull it out, which is all day and the next day, um, I try to eat where I leave an edge so it doesn't look like I'm the only one that eats it. So I leave this one little tiny edge around the strawberries. So you have your examples of things where you you're like, I love this, but I'm generous, you know, and compassionate uh, toward others. Because uh, I do like to believe that these practices of leaving the extra chips or the strawberry salad or whatever come from a place of generosity in us, a place of thoughtfulness within us. Um, for God, gleaning is serious business, according to Leviticus. It is a command of God uh, that your fields, your vines, uh, that, that you do not see them just specifically as your own for your profit, but that they exist for the sake of others as well. And so once it becomes law in Leviticus 19, making room for gleaning just becomes the practice of God's people. It's just what they do. They took it seriously as well. Uh, there's rabbinic literature uh, going throughout the entire Old Testament where even in times of exile, like the Babylonian period where the Israelites are in exile, they're not even in their own land, and they still, as they harvest crops, are practicing gleaning. They're still following the command of God, even um, it, from this place of stress and this place of things not belonging to them. Um, At one point, it continues through the New Testament. At one point in Jesus' life, in Matthew 12, we see him and his disciples gleaning. They're they're traveling, and they they take uh, the tops off of some wheat in Matthew 12. They get in trouble for it because they do it on the wrong day. It's a whole thing. You should check that out, too. Um, And in fact, this was super interesting to me. It wasn't until 1788 uh, in England. There was a landmark uh, legal case in England where gleaning was switched. This is 1788, not that long ago. Gleaning was switched from a human right to a privilege where a landowner could decide that they didn't have to allow gleaning. It went from a human right to a privilege. Uh, 
So literally for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, gleaning was an understood practice, not just uh, for God's people, but as social ethic. It's just something you do for the good of others. A practice of learning to love others with what you have. So to me, one of the most interesting things uh, about this law when I was looking at it is that uh, the amount you're supposed to leave behind isn't super clear. Like God just says, cut the corners, leave some edges, don't take all the grapes, leave some behind. It isn't really clear. God doesn't offer a specific angle or measurement or uh, amount to which, uh, you know, not the angle at which you're supposed to cut the corner or the number of vines or grapes you're supposed to leave behind. Instead, uh, what he does in this law is he injects the law with a spirit of generosity and simply says, leave some behind for others. That's the whole thing. And, and I have to imagine this would have been incredibly frustrating for the mathematically minded or system uh, minded Israelites. But me who scored a, and I'm not kidding, a zero out of a 100 on a church systems test that I was given. Um, it was hilarious. We took these leadership style quiz. I scored a zero out of 100 on two. It was like systems and something else with math. Uh, Johnny scored a hundred on both of those. So we're a perfect person if you combine us. Um, But to me, as a non-systems-minded person, I think this is fascinating. And I think it's so curious. I think when we think of generosity as Jesus followers, uh, just sort of one of our first questions uh, that comes to our mind is, uh, whether we say it out loud or not, is that first question is, how much do I have to? Right? How much do I have to give? How, how much am I supposed to leave behind? Uh, how, how wide can I swing on this corner uh, to still make God happy? I imagine that was the same question the Israelites were asking. How close can I get to the edge of my field? Uh, it, but God in his wild wisdom, uh, and, and God is always risking at the hands of people, and he does this in this law. God in his wild wisdom, he leaves this decision in the hands of people. His people who have experienced his favor, the favor of his generosity and his providential loving kindness. And so gleaning becomes another way that God's people are invited to share in what they've received. Uh, Hesed leading to Hesed, the loving kindness of God uh, shared to his people, the loving kindness of God shared from his people. Uh, I read... Uh, an, an amazing article. I, I'll try to, to link it tomorrow on social media media because it was so good um, from Christianity Today and it was essentially about Bible gleaning and then how we bring it into the 21st century. Um, and the way that they, d- they defined it, they said uh, that gleaning at its most basic level is a practical way to help provide for those in need and to remind everyone of God's own provision. And I, I love this definition. Um, I kept trying to think of how to explain gleaning. In, in kids' ministry, uh, Jordan did this a couple of weeks ago. So ask your kids if they've been, if they are elementary age kids. Um, he threw, I think I've told you this, he threw pieces of paper on the ground and they like gleaned in the library, which is awesome. And so uh, we actually had one kid tell his mom, we gleaned and we left some of the weed behind. And it was like, oh, well, eh. <laughs> close. <laughs> Very close. Um, anyway, I love, I love, sorry, another thing to edit out the podcast. Um, this is becoming a weekly thing. I need to get this under control. Okay. Um, uh, it's a practical way to help provide for those in need in order to remind everyone of God's own provision. I love this definition for cleaning, and I love this definition for generosity. 
because what it means is that we don't create space to, uh, to obey God because we feel guilty or we have to. I think that's why God doesn't give a measurement because this wasn't do this because I'm making you. Uh, I, I think that this definition helps us to create space out of a response of gratitude because we see and acknowledge the provision of God in our lives. The ways he has taken care of us, whether uh, in a steady stream of provision or like the wild stories you all have of, of when God intervened. Um, we have a story in our family where when I was a kid, uh, my dad had just moved to Maryville and started Young Life out here. And uh, you don't get into ministry to make money. And, um, and we went to our mailbox one day and he had a brand new pair of Nike tennis shoes and the post-it note on the top that just said, to Tim from God. That's it. It was awesome. Um, and, and so I think of those. They're just these wild ways that God has provided for us. Or some of us, our story is just, uh, I've always been provided for. Uh, and so anyway, whether it was a steady stream or in crazy ways, generosity uh, comes to us and comes out of us, not from shame or guilt or reluctant submission, but from gratitude for the hesed that has been shown to us, the loving kindness and provision that's been shown to us. Uh, gleaning. Cutting corners uh, to leave space and resources, it's not just a lens for generosity. Uh, it is also an intentional call to God's people uh, to see need in a different kind of way. Uh, and not just to see need in a different kind of way, but our role in need in a different kind of way. To see our role in the needs around us as, as, um, as an empowering role, a role as creator with an imagination and a curiosity for creating opportunities uh, for the good news of God's generosity to spread uh, for the marginalized, to allow the marginalized to be productive and included in work and community. Uh, gleaning isn't a handout. There are times in the Bible that God says, just give it uh, no matter what. And there are handouts in the Bible. But gleaning this law, this is a, is a systemic thing. It's, it's an idea of empowering the marginalized to be part of community and, and part of work. Um, there is transformation on every single level uh, when, when it comes to gleaning. Transformation at every single level of the process. There's transformation in the field owner. There's transformation in the harvester and the workers. There's transformation in the gleaners and the lives of their families. Uh, through the process of gleaning, God is doing what he's always doing. He's offering dignity and humanity to those without a field and he's offering dignity and humanity to those who think their hope is found in the field. It's not a band-aid, but a, a generosity alongside the dignity of work. Boaz followed God's law, and it gave Ruth a hope in a hopeless place. And then Ruth worked hard to be able to provide for she and Naomi. Dignity for Ruth, dignity for Naomi, dignity for Boaz. Gleaning, it makes room for di the dignity of work and the transformational role of practicing business in a way that brings peace and welfare for everyone. Uh, it goes beyond simple uh, social responsibility by requiring uh, personal commitment and personal risk and personal transformation. Uh, the spirit of gleaning, it's about spreading generosity and caring for others uh, beyond what shows up on an annual report or a tax return or uh, points in heaven. It's about having eyes on the structures of injustice in the world, having eyes to see what's been overlooked or who's been overlooked and left in the margins. 
Uh, I don't think it's a stretch to say that the spirit of gleaning is a spirit of neighboring. It's a spirit of seeing your community and wanting what's best for it, wanting flourishing within it. Uh, When Ruth gleaned in Boaz's field, the exchange led not just to a transformation of one family, but the transformation of a community. Uh, We looked at the end of Ruth last week where the whole community is singing the praises of Ruth and Boaz and their son. Uh, Ruth, she experienced Boaz's generosity, but she was also held up and helped by the community of harvesters who again, didn't assault her and left more for her. She, uh, she gained access to resources and relational connection and received the dignity of being pow- empowered to care for her own family. In Ruth's story, we see um, the practice of something called restorative justice, restorative justice in her, in her family, in her community, and her neighborhood. Uh, I like the word restorative justice better. Have you heard social justice, the word? The church argues about social justice all the time. We, we love it and we hate it. We can't decide. Um, and so I just like a whole new word. I love the idea of restorative justice. Restorative justice is charity with dignity and empowering and societal transformation and good newsing all over a community in the world. In the article that uh, I read this week that I talked about in Christianity Today, the writer is a guy named Bruce Baker, and he says this. Uh, I think I have a quote for it, Taylor, uh, on the screen. He says this. He says, gleaning declares that by God's grace and the Spirit's guidance, we are not only part of a society, but we are called to be participants in its restoration, reconciliation, and renewal. I'm going to read again. Gleaning declares that by God's grace and the Spirit's guidance, we are not only part of a society, but are called to be participants in its restoration, reconciliation, and renewal. As I read uh, it this week, it struck me that this old Hebrew law, I think, has much to teach us today about what it means to be a kingdom of God kind of person. Because a kingdom of God person is committed to participate in restoration and reconciliation and renewal. We say it every week around here that we are, it's, it's our, the, the vision of our church to join God in the renewal of all things. And though gleaning might look a little bit different for us today, not many of you have fields or vines. Oh, there are some very incredible gardens represented in this room, though. Um, the Kesslers have a ton of sunchokes, if you need any or will. Um, there are some gardens, but, but fields and vines, they don't necessarily uh, land on us the same way. But the spirit of the law remains The spirit of the law of gleaning, it remains with God's people, filled with the creativity uh, and the spirit's guidance for how to play out, how it could play out in our lives today. Uh, Over the last few weeks, we've put ourselves in Ruth's uh, shoes. We put ourselves in Naomi's shoes. Uh, But today, I think as we engage uh, the book of Ruth, it's important for us to put ourselves in Boaz's shoes. In his shoes, in the shoes of his workers, where uh, we are God's people who have walked in his providence and have been invited to practice radical generosity. God's people are to be marked by radical generosity. Again, uh, maybe not just of fields and vines, but of the things that we have. Marked by generosity of spirit and things and time and gifts and resources, meaning that our lives must be intentionally planned with extra to give away. Uh, In a different article I read that was talking mainly about finances and gleaning, it said it like this, and this punched me in the belly, so happy Sunday. Um, 
It says this, we must deliberately plan our financial lives so that we have extra uh, for those in need. I think this is what the spirit of the law has for us as kingdom people in the 21st century, a charge to cut corners on purpose, to cut corners in our lives with intention, to more intentionally plan our lives with room and plan our lives with space and plan our lives with extra. And I needed this, that this week. Uh, And maybe you do too, because if you're anything like me, uh, you may be reaping harvest in a life that is stretched as far as you can go on the fence line. I think about my time management currently, and I'm like, I am stretched as far as I can go on the fence line. Do you relate to this? Are you stretched so tightly financially or socially or professionally or emotionally that there's nothing left to give away? I just felt this really strong sense from the Holy Spirit this week, uh, wanting to remind us that there is breath and life and hope and dignity to be found uh, by cutting the corners if we would just quit plowing our lives to the edge of our land. It may sound simple or tired to say this, uh, but it doesn't make it any less true. I think the spirit of gleaning laws is that God wants access to our lives and access to our things. Our money, our calendars, our jobs, our talents, the things that we own. It's allowing the Spirit of God uh, room in our lives to expand our imagination, to see what we have and create ways and means to share it. Uh, What we say around here uh, when we talk about giving, like uh, to the offering box, like offering giving, is we say that giving is radical, sacrificial, and spirit-led. And when we say that, we don't mean uh, that, that the Spirit will lead you if you should give some money somewhere. Uh, that's kind of handled biblically. Uh, what we mean is that, uh, that, the, that we want to give spirit, the Spirit access to our lives. We want to give the Spirit access to our giving. Voice, uh, not for if, but how, or how much, or where do we give it? As kingdom people, we are meant to be marked by generosity and hospitality, by having room and by making room. And these aren't just moral laws uh, for responsibility. They aren't just old Hebrew laws that don't uh, apply anymore. The spirit of gleaning laws, the spirit of generosity, it is ethic for Jesus' followers today. It's ethic. It's pneuma. It's ethos. It's the work of the spirit for God's people in us and for us and through us, marked by an understanding that we were never meant to harvest the entire field of our lives for ourselves. Meaning, all of our dollars are not ours, and all of our hours are not ours. Parents, this is kind of a side note. Uh, This is for you and for me. I want my kids to experience the fullness of life and their talents and skills, their wants and their desires more than I want anything else in the whole world. But I also want them to learn the art of generosity and making room in their lives and their calendars and their wallets for other people. And so I think it becomes very important for us as parents to ask ourselves, do our kids see us doing this? Do our kids see us uh, giving our money or our hours or our gifts or our resources or our time? Or do they see us stretched to the edge of our field? Sometimes uh, because of them, sometimes because of work. The Father never meant for us to be stretched to the corner of our fields. And it is too much pressure on our kids to be the reason we are stretched that way. It's too much pressure on them. Okay. 
I don't say any of this to make you feel guilty. Uh, Because I truly believe that gleaning is a structure for grace. It is a reflection of God's character and his covenant uh, with his people. It reflects God's character as a God of hesed, a God of loving kindness who seeks peace and welfare for all. And I think that generosity and hospitality, they are so crucial to Christian practice and worldview uh, because they shift the way we see work and they shift the way we see play and time and money and things. And they allow us to experience something that um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu calls wise selfish. It's a state of being. He calls it wise selfish. And essentially it means that uh, we come to a point where we realize that helping others is also a help to us and that showing mercy to others is also a mercy to us. That dignity, renewal, restoration, and transformation for others also does the same for us as well. Gleaning and generosity, it's more, it's a structure for more of God and it's a structure for more of grace. And the more we see our lives as belonging to something bigger than ourselves and outside of ourselves, uh, the more I think we really find out what it means to really live. Uh, the founder of the vineyard, our, our whole movement, like the denomination, uh, his name's John Wimber, and he says, he used to say, we're all just changing God's pocket for him to spend however he sees fit. And so uh, I want to spend our last few minutes uh, just telling you some stories that I've read or seen of people practicing gleaning in the 21st century. Uh, for me, it was hard. I spent a lot of time trying to say, okay, what does that look like now? Because I don't have a field and I don't have any vines. Um, and my garden is, is, is not something someone wants to share. Um, <laughs> though you're welcome to it. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but I want to tell stories because stories have a way of widening our understanding, but also like growing our faith. Growing our faith for imagination for what this looks like. Um, so here's one. Uh, an example I read this week. It was a man named Eric Strumberg. He runs a company called Tango Internet. And, um, and he, after spending time in the book of Ruth, he felt this like stirring and conviction around gleaning specifically. And so he just starts praying, what does this look like for me as a business owner? What does gleaning look like? Um, and around that time he had, I can't remember if he had to get a new space or he was just like, um, uh, adding on to the office space that he had. And so through the imagination of the spirit, he had this idea that when he added on to his building for his business, he would leave some open offices on purpose that would exist for nonprofits to be able to have office space in his office building, which is genius. He didn't charge them rent. He gave them the exact same access to the building that his employees had. And that was how he practiced gleaning. It was genius. Here's another one. Uh, in uh, 2011, so some time ago, uh, NPR, which you can only imagine it's gotten worse from here, NPR reported that 96 billion pounds, I'll say that one more time, 96 billion pounds of pre-consumer produce went to waste every year, every year, because in the U.S., based solely on the fact that it wasn't pretty enough to sell in the grocery store. Isn't that insane? The number now is 20% of all fresh produce is is waste because it is not pretty enough to sell, just because it's ugly. Here's another statistic. 23 million people live in food deserts, meaning, this is what a food desert is. It is a place uh, where there is little to no access to fresh produce, ugly or not. 
And so organizations in our, in our country started to, uh, and groups, they started to form things. There's one called the Ugly Fruit Campaign, uh, great name. Uh, one is called the Society of St. Andrew's Gleaning Campaign, a little harder to say. Um, but they organized and they worked with farmers across the country in order to glean the ugly produce for food banks all over the country to use. Which is genius. This is actually what our kids are going to be doing this summer on their trip. They're working with uh, a farm in Folly Beach that services food banks all over the Charleston area with fresh produce. This is so genius. I love these things. Um, and I think they're amazing. And I could tell you 10 more or more. But if I'm honest, national statistics feel a bit out of reach for me. Not for some of you. For some of you, I think uh, you will be part of, of making solutions on a very broad scale that will uh, impact the community, and by community, I mean the nation. Like for some of you, you will have the imagination and creativity for national restoration and national transformation. Uh, I really believe that. Uh, but for me, it helps me to think of things on like a smaller scale and a local level. Uh, like where is there a problem that could be solved in my everyday life uh, based on a simple reimagining of resources? So here are some stories from local people. Actually, all of these stories come from people in our church uh, that are doing these. Our church community who are asking questions and dreaming up exactly or ways to do exactly that, ways uh, to use Reimagine resources for the good of others. Uh, a few weeks ago, we do evening prayer once a month. And a few weeks ago, one of our, uh, the thing we were praying about was reconciliation and restoration in our city, uh, particularly uh, among uh, racial uh, turmoil and tension. And one of our folks had an idea to use a new set of jobs opening at his work to specifically offer a living wage and benefits to Hispanic folks in our area. And if you've ever, has anybody ever done a poverty simulation in our county? Some of y'all have. If you've done a poverty simulation here, then you know that uh, our Hispanic neighbors are the most under-resourced and overlooked people in our community. And so he's like, how can I see this problem? How can I help this problem? It was so genius. The Spirit is putting imagination in him on how to bring transformation there. Uh, another guy in our church has a landscaping business, uh, and they do beautiful and meaningful work. Uh, but he also hires people with mentoring in mind because he knows that not only is he going to be in yards and, and businesses all over, honestly, East Tennessee, um, but he also knows he's going to be in a truck with people. And so he hires uh, people. I've watched him do this for years and years and years, and he hires people, and he pours into their live, lives in uh, the truck, he uses the margin of truck rides for the restoration of people. It's incredible. Uh, here's one. Uh, there's a preteen small group of girls that meets every Wednesday, uh, girls from Alcoa Intermediate School. And these girls banded together and they came to Aaron who led the thing and they said, we want Blair to come. And Aaron said, who's Blair? And they said, Blair, she had a brain tumor. She's in the hospital all the time and we got to get her here. And so these little girls, they banded together to figure out how can we get Blair, who doesn't get to do anything, to come to this preteen Bible study. And now she comes to the preteen Bible study. Uh, for years, a few of our folks uh, uh, from church banded together to pick up a local kid from an apartment complex by the flea market in order to bring him here to church on Sundays till he moved. Other than school, Sundays were the only time he left his apartment. And they would go and they would pick him up and he'd get in their cars and he'd make the whole car smell like smoke for days. But they turned something they were already doing, going to church, into something that worked for the peace and the welfare of a middle school boy. 
Uh, this is one of my favorite ways. A few of you have met with me and we've, we've talked about uh, giving. And, and I mean, quite a few of you have said this, that, that you reserve uh, money every month either for your tithe or on top of your tithe or from like a bonus or tax return. It works different. Um, but you reserve a little bit of money uh, that, that you just ask the Holy Spirit to surprise you. Where am I going to give it this month? And you have the best stories of like adoptions that you helped fund and groceries that you helped buy and pregnancy resources. I mean, it's just like incredible stuff that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you. And then you've been able uh, to give. Um, there have been a couple times the box is our benevolent system here at the church. You hear us talk about it a lot at Christmas. I need to talk about it more, but it's how we meet needs in the community. And one of the fun things about being on like the other side of the curtain for the box is what we see is that there are families that we help through the box who then end up paying back into the box to help the next person's need be met. It's crazy. Like uh, there's a family, they, they moved away a few years ago, but that were at our church at Springbrook and we helped pay for one of their children uh, to have a surgery. Uh, when they sold their house to move uh, away, they gave 10% of what they sold their house, 10% of what they made on their house back to the box. Like these incredible stories. I could go on and on and on. There are amazing stories all throughout this room. But the truth is, I believe that the spirit of gleaning is less about what we do and more about who we're becoming. More about who we are as participants in God's kingdom, uh, where what we do does not earn us favor or points, but where who we are matters as an openness to the process of being refined and formed by the spirit of God for the good of the world. Where who we are is not who we were, but who God is making us today as people marked by generosity, people marked by uh, cutting wide corners People who show hospitality and empathy by committing to bring order and pray for flourishing wherever we go. People with the courage to allow the Holy Spirit to spark our imagination for how we might be able to do this. So here's what I want to do uh, for Selah today. We're going to take a pause. Uh, we're going to pass out baskets for you to write big checks. Just kidding. <laughs> what if I did that? <laughs> no pressure. But... Make it big. Um, we're not going to do that. Um, here's how I want to spend our time in Salem today. I would love to spend some time on this question. How do we practice the spirit of gleaning, of generosity, of hospitality, where we are today? Uh, we're all in different places financially. We're all in different places in life stage. We're all in different places in emotional health we are all in very different places, but I, I believe uh, that the spirit of this law is for all of us wherever we are. Uh, and so a good question to ask, two questions. Uh, I think it would be a very good and holy question to ask, where am I stretched to the edge of my field? Where is there no room in my life? Where is there no room in my budget? Where is there no room emotionally? Uh, the second question is, what could I uh, give up or set aside, or push pause on, or cut back on in order to leave room in those things, to leave room in my life, to leave room in my wallet, to leave room in my schedule for the Spirit to move. Um, I'm not going to add to God's law by putting an amount or a percentage or things like that on it, but um, some of you are like, I really just would like a really practical place to start. Um, in the Old Testament, uh, not just in gleaning, but when uh, uh, God gave laws in the Old Testament, tithing was like 10%. Like he gave this, this rhythm of 10%. But in the New Testament, we see uh, far more radical generosity. 
And so if you're asking, like, like practically speaking, how do I know how to cut my corner? A good place to start is at 10%, and then you allow the imagination of the Spirit to speak into that. So that's 2.4 hours a week to something greater. Uh, I will do a plug for this. If you want to start, there are places all over here that are longing for people to help. Uh, Young Life needs volunteers. Yoke needs volunteers. FCA needs volunteers. Uh, our nursery, we really need volunteers. I will do that plug. We will pass around cards. You can sign up. Um, but there are places that need you. So 2.4 hours a week. What might it look like for you to use 2.4 hours a week or beyond uh, to do something beyond yourself? Or move the decimal place over one uh, for 10% and invite the Spirit into that. 